Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. And now we go to the message. Uh, as Jonathan said, this is the last week we will be doing with the story. We're, we're coming to a certain point, and it's after the time of David, and it's after the time of Solomon, and it's now uh, the grandchildren, the children, the grandchildren that followed. And the theme this week is it's a kingdom divided. That, that this country that, that David and Solomon had built after Solomon's death fell apart. And as I thought about that this week, and, and as I was going over this lesson, I, I, I thought about a, a kingdom divided. I, I started thinking about our own country and about maybe being a nation divided. And this past week, there was, it was the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And if you have not listened to it recently, you can read it, you can go and you can find the text of it, which is great because it's a literary piece of art. I mean, it, it's something that as someone who writes sermons, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a, a, a preacher, that it, literary, literary uh, it's, it's genius. I mean, it, it is incredible. And so we study that as communicators. But one of the things in that speech that, that as you read it and then as you watch it, that, that is so great is, is that, first of all, he lays out the problems that we, that we had in our country 50 years ago very clearly about the things that were going on. Uh, with segregation and, and, and the racial tension uh, and, and racial, uh, racial violence that existed. And then what he did is he turned and, and he gave a vision for the United States for the future. And that vision he communicated by saying, I have a dream. I have a dream that on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slaveholders will sit down at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream. I have a dream that in this great nation of ours, that my four children will no longer be judged by the color of their skin, but rather by the content of their character. And the thing about the I have a dream speech is if you close your eyes, and have a dream that right here in Alabama, that little black boys and black girls and little white boys and little white girls will join hands in sister and brotherhood. The thing that made it so great is when you closed your eyes, you could see it. And you know he could too. And he was describing what was already in his mind. And so 50 years later, as you watch the news, uh, there's a reality that we have come a long way, but there is also another reality that we have a long way to come, because there is still racial tension, isn't there? And occasionally there's still sometimes racial violence as well. But the thing as we look at this is, is that we need to understand is this, is that as we look at our country as a country that is divided, it's not just divided along racial lines. We have other divisions as well. 
when we think of our, ourselves as conservative or liberal or democratic or republican, that those are not along racial lines. And there is disagreement, and it seems to me that, that we are as far apart and sometimes divided as much as we have ever been. And I notice that especially when I think to 10 years ago, right after 9-11, where you remember the theme, the banner under which we all stood, united we stand. And the problem is, is that if you go to the other side of that, if united we stand, doesn't that mean divided? We're going to fall? So what do we do? Well, today, what we are going to do is we are going to look into God's word and see that this division that exists starts not as a country, but it starts with individuals. And so what we are going to do is we are going to take time to go back to a time in history where there was division, where there was civil war, where brother fought against brother, and to see the healing that God can and does bring. And so we will go to the story, A Kingdom Divided. And I invite you, if you haven't already taken out your crosswalk notes, that will give us a little path down which we can uh, walk, a a little map that will uh, lead us where we are going to go this morning. Again, we are going to a, a time, just so you know that I know, that you are not going to remember Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Uh, you are going to get those confused. And, and so I'll mention again, just to try to let it sink in your head a little bit, but Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. Jeroboam was no relation whatsoever other than he had Boam at the end of his name. And he, he was in the court of Solomon and was the up-and-coming star in Solomon's court. And Solomon at this time had sinned against the Lord, that the Lord had blessed him with wisdom, the Lord had blessed him with a wonderful kingdom, but Solomon turned his back on God. And our first uh, reading from 1 Kings 11, verse 11 says this, So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you, And give it to one of your subordinates. Solomon, you have have messed up so badly that you have made such a mess out of this kingdom. And because your sin has not only torn you away from me, but this country as well. There are going to be consequences for what you have done. And the consequence is that most of this kingdom is going to be ripped away from your family. But then a promise came shortly after. 1 Kings 11, verse 39, and that is, I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. But not forever. And and so this is the message. And and, uh, if you've been to Crosswalk before, hopefully this sounds familiar, that the Lord is a God of grace and truth. Both. And so on the one hand, you have God's truth. And that is the soul that sins is the soul that is going to die. That Solomon, you have sinned, and because of that, there are going to be consequences, period. But at the same time, there is this grace, this promise that my anger does not last forever, but there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness for everyone. 
This is important for you to remember from the context of what this lesson is all about. And I think the best way for me to describe it is is from a story from when I was young. See, I, I grew up in a house of grace and truth. My dad was a father who had grace and truth. And he also happened to be a police officer for 25 years. And so what that meant in the city of Burlington, Wisconsin, was that if you were the son of a police officer, it was impossible to get a ticket. Because this is the way that it worked. I remember vividly one day coming home from the lake. My brother was driving. I was in a car with him. A friend was in a different car. We were racing home from the lake, speeding through town. We got home, got into our driveway. We had gotten out of our cars, and a squad car pulled up behind, behind the cars. And the officer got out, and he said, could you guys come over here for a moment? So we walked over there, and he said, could I see your driver's license, please? And he took my brother's driver's license, he took the friend's driver's license, he got in the squad car, and he drove away. And that's when we knew it was not good, because my dad was the sergeant on the desk that night, and we knew that it was a a moment until dad would be home, and honestly, I would have rather had a ticket uh, and had it over with. But there was another time, too, and and the best story with that had to do with my brother, and, and my, my oldest brother, uh, second oldest brother actually, was when he was old enough to work, he worked. And so he spent all his money on cars and tried to get them all souped up. And he would speed through town and squeal his tires. And my dad was constantly on his case to say, you cannot do this. Now stop it. You, you have got to grow up. This cannot happen. And my brother would be, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then finally it got so bad that my dad said to him, if you do this one more time, you will not see your car for a month. And my brother said, you can't do that. It's my car. You know, you can't take my car. And my dad just said, whatever, we'll see. So my brother was out and he was on his first date with this girl and he decided he was going to go squealing through town and got pulled over by a police officer. And police officer, you know, guy's license, everything like that, asked him to get out of the car and asked the, the girl to get out of the car as well and go onto the sidewalk. And then the police officer got in the car and drove away. <laughs> and then the other squad behind them drove away with my dad waving to my brother. <laughs> see you in a month. And he didn't. He did not see his car for a month. Uh, my dad had some deal worked out with a farmer or something, but it was hidden in a barn somewhere that my brother had no idea where it was. And so here's, here's the story, though, my, why my dad did this. is he, he tried to impress on us because being a police officer's child in a town of 10,000 people can be a lot like being a pastor's kid. Uh, for, for my children, I know what it's like. And whether it's fair or not, people watch, and there's, there's a... a A level of expectation, whether it's put on by the fathers or whether it's put on by the people around you. I don't know. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying it's reality. And so my dad told us, don't you realize people are watching you? That they also know that I'm a police officer. And if we are going to be a model for what it's going to be like to to live under the law in this town, that it needs to start with us. That is what God was doing with the children of Israel. God had given David and Solomon the keys to a Porsche. 
the greatest kingdom in the world at that time. And he said, this is the way that's going to be. I'm going to give you this kingdom. And what it's going to do is for the nations throughout the world, it's going to show them how great God is, but it's also going to show them how great it is to be God's child. And so what's going to happen by this nation that I have formed is, is that it's going to be a, a light for these, these other nations. And it, and it was, especially during the time of Solomon. We are told that people came from around the world to hear his wisdom. And so as they came to hear this wisdom, this wisdom that was supposed to show how great his God was, he turned from God. And it became the Solomon show. And so people came not to see how great Solomon's God was, but how great Solomon was. And the purpose for which God had given the nation in the first place was now lost. And so the Lord took the keys away from Solomon and said, you know what I'm going to do with this car? I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it because with David, who who was a man after God's own heart, and Solomon, who was the wisest person to ever live, if you two can't drive it, what makes you think that your children will be able to drive it? And that's why this message is a message both of truth and grace. So what I'm going to do for you, David and Solomon, is I'm going to give your, your kids a Yaris, a Toyota Yaris, so they won't speed through town anymore. And so they won't get in trouble. And maybe this, maybe so that they learn as king what they need to do is rely on their great God. And that's what's happening in our lesson. So we go to the next passage from 1 Kings 12, verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the, elder, the elders gave him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So, so now we're in this situation where, where God had made it clear the, the kingdom was going to be taken away. And now you go, we go down a little bit deeper into the story itself with Rehoboam. Uh, Rehoboam followed Solomon. And, and during the time of David and Solomon, the kingdom was great. But also it was difficult to maintain. Uh, the taxes were very high. The people were hard-pressed. They had gone through a lot. And so at the time of Rehoboam, when he heard the, the grumbling from these, the people saying, you know what, we just can't handle this anymore. So he went to two groups of people. One were the old advisors. And he said, okay, what should I do? And their advice was, Rehoboam, I'm telling you, if you love these people, and if you serve them as their king... They will love you forever, and they will follow you to death. That is what the people are looking for, and that is what you need to be as the king. But then he went to the other group, and the other group were the, the young men of the kingdom, those who had grown up uh, through these great times, maybe the spoiled rich kids. And, and he asked them, what should I do? And they said, you tell them you think you have it hard. You haven't seen anything yet. If you think Solomon and David were hard, you have no idea. You have no idea how brutal it's going to be. Just try going against me. And of course, as he heard the advice, he went with the advice of the younger leaders, and the people rebelled against him and, and said, we're out of here. There was going to be civil war. 
But the next passage we see is maybe what Rehoboam should have done. Psalm 119, verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. That is, Rehoboam was going back and forth on who to listen to. The one place he never looked was up. That the, never, the place he never looked was back into God's word. To even ask the question, what is it that a king should be? Lord, why have you given the office of a king? And, and what should it be? And if he would have done that, he would have seen the type of king that Jesus is for us. Jesus, our perfect king. And, and, and we're told about Jesus that even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Rehoboam had had bought into a a, a way of kingship, a way of ruling that was not what God had in mind, never was what God had in mind. And because of that, the kingdom was going to be taken from him. And so in your notes, you can say, you can write, division starts when I listen to the wrong people. Division starts when I listen to the wrong people. We've all been there, haven't we? And and so you look at who are the right people, right? So we ask that question. Who's the right people? I'm the right people. You've got to listen to Pastor Dan, right? He's going to give you good counsel. Pastor Jeff, man, he's one of the smartest people I know and someone I turn to all the time. But I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes I'm not the right person to turn to. And I'm going to embarrass my kids a little bit today. Make sure they're up here. Um, Tomorrow is my daughter's 16th birthday. Awesome day. And you know what that means? 14 years until she can start dating. (laughs) Because when it comes to dating advice, I'm not objective. I'm not at all. And, and so if she's uh, dating a boy in 14 years, and there's a disagreement, there's a, a type of fight, you know whose side I'm going to be on? I'm going to be on her side. Period. End of story. Uh, I lose all objectivity when it comes to that. And so uh, when coming to me as someone who's objective about advice in that situation, I'm probably not the best person to talk to. But then there was another situation that I had in my life with one of my kids. And, and, and my wife and I, and we were struggling with one of our kids and it, driving us crazy. And, and, and things just started to escalate and they started getting uh, worse and worse. And, and our altercations got more and more intense until one day Tanya and I looked at each other and said, we're doing something. Something's got to change here. And so uh, we were able to go to the member assistance program. Uh, It's something that that we have through uh, Wisconsin Lutheran Christian Counseling. It's something uh, some of our members here go through as well. And, and, And what we needed is we just needed to talk to somebody, someone objective that could help us with the things that were going on. And I remember, I remember specifically the advice that this counselor gave me. Of course, I was right because I'm the parent, right? So I was waiting for the counselor to say, you're right. You just keep hammering him and tell him who's the boss. But instead, what the counselor said to me, I'll never forget this, was, Dan, in these discussions, someone needs to be the adult. And since you are an adult, I would suggest that it's you. And it was just like, wow. 
And, and, but that was the counselor that told me what I needed to hear. It wasn't someone who was just going to tell me I'm right and he's wrong and you're good and he's bad. And in the same way that as we look at counselors, I think you know in your life people that you turn to. Uh, people that, as we say, have a horse in the race. That, that, that it clouds their judgment as they talk to you. And so as we do this, the encouragement, again, it's so easy to see in other people, so easy to see in Rehoboam, to listen to the right people, and they are going to be people who are going to give you godly advice. We continue. So we have this, getting the bad advice, and then uh, 1 Kings twelve twenty one says, When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 able young men to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom of Rehoboam, son of Solomon. 180,000 people with swords who are ready to kill, uh, who are ready to go after their brothers uh, in, these, in these northern kingdoms. And, and they are going to fight. The time for talking is over. Uh, The time of of division, it is a divided kingdom and war is going to ensue. But just three verses later, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. "Do Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. So you have this situation where it is going to be a knockdown, drag out, fight to the death uh, for this kingdom so that the kingdom stays united. But the Lord tells them no. What you don't understand is the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that this united kingdom that we had before is not going to happen. Uh, history has shown that, that the nation is not able to handle this. That when you have the United Kingdom, you turn from God. And so in love, what it is going to be is a divided kingdom where both the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom need me. But what happens? Uh, 1 Kings 14 verse 30. So there's not going to be war, but there was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Constant border skirmishes, that going back at each other, back and forth, back and forth. That it was not a time of peace. That it was just always trying to push their borders or take one more town uh, in order to, to keep the, their borders and, and to keep their country safe. And so in our notes, we see that after division, civil war will follow. Civil war will follow. Fighting. So my question for you is, what's your civil war? Where has there been division in your life where there is now, maybe it was going to be 185,000 troops that it was all out, but then you, you backed off on that? And instead what it is now is a bunch of skirmishes back and forth. Does that look like your marriage? Does that look like your relationship with your kids? Does that look like a relationship with a brother or sister? Is it a relationship that you are having at work? 
I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about that civil war because we're, we're going to go a little bit farther to look at this civil war to see what God teaches us. But the one point you need to know is that in a civil war, everyone loses. Everyone loses. Israel goes to war against Judah, Jeroboam against Rehoboam. Who loses? Everyone. Even if you win, you lose. So, you know what you have to do in the Civil War, right? You got to take sides. You can't stay neutral. So you have to figure out, in this deal, if you have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, if you were a person in Israel, whose side would you have taken? Who do you think is the one that should have laid down his sword and said, you know what, I'm going to step back, um, I'm in the wrong here, uh, in, in the interest of keeping the kingdom united, I'm going to let you be the king. Well, let's look, First Kings 12, verse 26 to 28, here's Jeroboam, so the king in the north. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice from the wrong people, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, Is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Seriously, Jeroboam, the Lord gives you this kingdom. And, and you can see why he, he, he was concerned. Because Judah is where Jerusalem was. And Jerusalem is where the temple was. And the temple is where everyone from the 12 tribes of Israel were supposed to go to worship and offer sacrifices. And so you would have this situation where uh, a couple times a year, I'm sure Judah wouldn't have liked it because all of these people from the northern kingdom of Israel are coming down into Jerusalem and, and to be worried that it could be a time they could be overtaken. But also, Jeroboam is worried, well, what if the people go down there, they worship, and, and as they worship, they realize, you know what, we're all one. Why don't we just become one kingdom again? We can get rid of Jeroboam, and it'll all be good. And so what does he do? Seriously, we're back to the golden calves? Do, do we really have to go back in history uh, a couple hundred years to what the children of Israel did when they left Egypt? Remember, they, they made the golden calf, and what Moses did, he ground it up and made them drink it? Come on, Jeroboam. Okay, so that's Jeroboam. You going to be on his side? Or let's go to the next one, 1 Kings 14, 22 and 23. Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stone and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. So Jeroboam is doing the golden calf thing. Rehoboam is doing Asherah worship. And Asherah was a female fertility god. Um, Sometimes they would offer uh, their crops to her. Sometimes they would offer their firstborn children to her. And sometimes they would offer their bodies in prostitution to her. Nice, Rehoboam. Excellent. Uh, following in the ways of, of Solomon, of going to many different gods. And they did this all in the interest of, of fertility, so that they would have good harvests, so that uh, they would have large families, they would have large flocks. So again, now you're in the middle of this, right? We're in a civil war. 
Whose side do you want to be on? Rehoboam or Jeroboam? And the answer is neither. And so what we find is the kingdom was divided against itself and God. The kingdom was divided against itself and God. Can we go back to your civil war for a second? Okay? The fight that you're in right now. And in this fight, uh, what happens very often is what you try to, you try to get allies. I get it. I'm the same way. That's the way it is when you fight, that, that we like to be right when we fight. So, so, so we want to have our excuses and why everyone is going to be on our side. But what we don't realize is sometimes in the interest of being right, that we are really very wrong. And that's hard. Use the example of my uh, situation that I had with one of my kids. I was right. I, I was the parent, and he wasn't keeping the fourth commandment of honoring his parents, honoring his father and mother. You know what that made him? A sinner and someone who wasn't doing what is right. And, and so I told him that a number of times. I didn't like the way he talked to his mother. I didn't like the way he was around the house. It was inexcusable. And I was right. But then when I was told that I also needed to be an adult, that I realized that I was acting like a child. Maybe I'll put it this way. Rehoboam wanted the perfect kingdom. And because of sin, it wasn't going to happen anymore. Those days were gone. God had told him, the perfect kingdom as you see it is not going to happen. What I just wanted was the perfect family. And I'm going to tell you that that does not exist. Not in a family that's full of sinful people like me. And, and, and full of sinful people like the type of people that come from me. It's just not going to happen. And so in my goal of, of having the family that I wanted, I forgot that that ship had sailed. And so instead what we need to have is a family that models confession and repentance. We need to have a family in which the father on a regular basis kneels before his heavenly father and confesses his sin and asks for forgiveness. And on occasion, when that sinful nature also affects the children in that family, that he also needs to get down on his knees and ask them for forgiveness to be the type of leader that God would have be the leader in the family. Or in that perfect marriage that I want that I have an idea of what I want it to be. And especially I have the idea of what the perfect spouse should be. And I know they should do this and this and this. And I can even go to God's word and show you how they should be that. But that ship sailed the day you married someone who's sinful like you. And so you can pursue that perfect marriage and, and you can pursue that wanting them to be perfect. But it's not going to happen. Instead, can there be 
A marriage where there is forgiveness offered on a daily basis, first of all by God and then by each other. I say this a lot. Maybe some of you have heard this. 12 most important words in a marriage. I was wrong. I am sorry. I forgive you. I love you. There you go. That's, that's, that's not the perfect marriage, but it is a godly marriage. And it is the, the only marriage that sinful people can have. So in your civil war, my encouragement is to take a look at yourself in the mirror of God's law. That would have been the win. If you would have wanted the win for Rehoboam and Jeroboam, both of them would have turned back to God, confessed their sins, and, and, and what would have happened is the kingdom wouldn't have been necessarily united again because God said it won't. But rather, the people in both kingdoms would have been godly. So God gave them these words of hope. 1 Kings 14.21 says, Rehoboam reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which, to, in which to put his name. That's the city. God had put his name in the city. And for Rehoboam, it was so close. It was right there. God was in front of him every time he walked by the temple. Everything he needed in order to have a, a reign that was uh, godly and successful was there. It was Christ. But he didn't use it. The next one, 1 Kings 15, verse 4. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. Every once in a while, through this dark time, uh, there were little lamps, little glimmers of hope of, of maybe the kingdom could be restored to what it was like during the time of David. And, and there were people that were, were good people, uh, solid people. There weren't many of them, but there were a few. Kings, kings like Hezekiah and Josiah and Asa that, that, that started going back, that found the word of the Lord, that, that read it to the people and tried to be the type of king that God wanted them to be. And, and there would be these flickers, and then the light would seemingly go out. So God had something else in mind. In Luke chapter 2, 30 to 32. These are the words of Simeon. And they were spoken as Jesus was brought to him as a baby. He said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Okay, salvation in Jesus. So, so Jesus taking away our sin which is a light so that everyone around can see us and it becomes the glory, the thing that the, the people of Israel are most proud of. I have a dream. God has a dream and it's a dream for us as his people. I don't have any illusions of being the king of a united Israel, okay? No desire for that whatsoever, and it's not God's plan either. But the dream that God has for each one of our lives, that we can be a light for revelation to those around us, and the glory of, of God is for us to now live in the love that Jesus Christ has 
given us. I told you before, I don't know if it's right or if it's fair that people looked at us uh, as a police officer's child and, 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 and then by the way we acted, thought things about my dad. Or I don't know if it's fair if you look at my kids and, and think things about me. Whatever. But I'm telling you, you are children of the Heavenly Father. And I am telling you that as we live our lives, there are people who are watching us. The second you take the name Christ follower, Christian, that now when people look at you, it is also a reflection of your Father in heaven. And so is it possible for us to have a dream? A dream about how we are going to interact with one another? Part of our dream is part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. And part of it's being fulfilled. I invite you to go over to Crosswalk Kids and watch children with every skin color joining hands and and singing praises to Jesus. We still have work to do. It's not something that's done perfectly, but I'm telling you right now, anyone who's here today, I don't care who you are, I love you and Christ loves you. You are perfectly forgiven, and we are thrilled that you are here. But I also have this dream, and it's a dream that I live in my life, and I've shared part of it with you, of the way that I, I live my marriage in confession and repentance, serving my wife. I, I have this dream of what it's like to be a father uh, who doesn't lose my temper all the time, but rather who, when I sin, I own it, and I ask for forgiveness for those around me. I can model it as a pastor here at Crosswalk. I'm not going to be perfect. Maybe you've recognized that already. But I'm trying. I'm continuing. In in being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I want to be everything that he would have me be. I want to be the chief servant here. Okay, I'll let Jeff be the chief servant. I'll be the second chief servant. But either way, that is the dream I have, and it's one that I hope you can close your eyes and see yourself in as well. I don't care where you serve. I don't care how you serve. I don't care if it's at Crosswalk Kids. I don't care if it's in a growth group. I don't care if it's in the worship band. But that is when we become what God has called us to be. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. When people see us and see Christ. That is my prayer for you. And that is my prayer for Crosswalk. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, a kingdom divided, civil war. We know what it's like to live in a sinful world because uh, it affects us every day. But Lord, don't let us be content simply to live in civil war. Uh, Looking at those around us, those who are close to us, sometimes our brothers, sometimes our spouses, sometimes our children, and just be content to be at, at war with them. But I think of the words of Jesus, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and this way you'll be like your heavenly Father. And so, Lord, that is what we ask. Wash us, make us clean through the blood of Jesus Christ, and and make crosswalk and make each individual here today a, a beacon of your love so that others may see you and be attracted to you. Uh, make us a light uh, for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you want more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As we go here today, we go here unified. Uh, 
imperfect but unified through Jesus Christ. And, and as you go, I uh, would encourage you one more time uh, to, to pray over it if you haven't already, and that is the growth groups and, and looking for ways for you to be joined. It, it is the way that the kingdom becomes united uh, through these groups growing together in Christ. And as you go, go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.